0: This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. It's not a tour de force. It's a tour de Pinsky. Elio Castro leads the final 51 laps and wins the 85th Indianapolis 500-mile race. His teammate, Joe DeFerrin, is second. He's going to get out on the front straight. Let's see what happens with the 68. He's going to he's climb, climb, the, climb fence. the fence. He is out of the car. And Elio Castro Neves climbs the fence in the front straight. This has become his trademark of sorts. I'm amazed. I mean, this crowd is unbelievable. I'm just so happy to win it.
1: Elio Castro-Neves
0: looking for two in a row. Paul Tracy has him in his sights. All the qualifying struggles for Team Green, but boy, Paul Tracy looking good right now. A crash back at two as Tracy tries to make the pass. problem the pass in the North He has is on the speedway. According to race control, the pass will not stick. Paul Tracy will move back to second place. Elio Castro-Neves will be shown as the leader, we believe. He's done it. Elio Castroneves played the economy game and wins the 86th Indianapolis 500. Open the door to the three-time winners club. There's a brand new member and his name is Elio Castroneves. What a scene down there as he climbs. The Brazilian flags
2: are flying and the crowd Elio goes wild. the fence pumping that left fist. The team, Rick Reinemann, and the entire Penske team saluting the fans, celebrating for the third time at in Indianapolis.
0: They are sticking their way down the straightaway. Elio to the high side and turn them on. Boynt, Unser, Mears, and maybe Castroneves. Elio takes It's an incredible moment. Uh, I get emotional because this fans uh, last year was so tough, and this year we don't have full grandstand, but uh, you got the feeling. And um, thank you, the fans. Uh, I have the best fans in the world, and so an honor to have them.
2: And happy birthday, Elio! Welcome, trackside 93.5, 107.5, The fan. In Indianapolis, as we continue in May, leading to the 106th Indianapolis 500, where Elio Castroneves will attempt to become the first five-time winner celebrating a birthday today. Spent the third hour of the Today Show this morning, just after 9 o'clock, getting birthday wishes and sharing the Indy 500 and the GMR Grand Prix love. Getting a little plug for that broadcast coming up on NBC this weekend. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Sam Rumpsa in our Indianapolis studios. You are welcome to join in via Twitter anytime at Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. I am going to get to tweets that we've accumulated the last few days that I've missed. Some were direct messages, which I don't always see. So I've gone back to those and we'll get into some of that and some of the news of the day. And there is news of the day and also coming up at the bottom of the hour. There are a pair of Indy Lights races this weekend. So the championship leader, Linus Lundqvist, is going to be on the show. I think you'll enjoy hearing Linus's story. I'm going to have him tell uh, me a, tell us a story, and tell me a story since I'll be the one talking to him, that he told me last year that I think I've maybe shared once or so on the broadcast, but really an interesting story about his his family's involvement in his Junior Formula career, a little bit different than most. We'll get into that, and he was at the Miami F1 race this weekend, so we'll get some of his thoughts there, and much more on the program. How are you, Kurt? We got
3: we got news today. We the news fairy was really good to us today, so we got a lot of things we can talk about. It's uh, it's funny that we have have one hour shows all week during the month of May, and yet we never seem to run out of things. So let's get right to it. Well, the hours go really quickly. So, yeah,
2: we do need to get into it. And we know a pace car driver. And I think it's going to be pleasing to a lot of people that like to actually see someone that has a specific relationship with this great race. And Sarah Fisher is going to tick that box off
3: quite nicely. Very popular pace car driver, I would suspect. Well, she is. She's, you know, she was the most popular driver during her uh, IndyCar career. And, you know, was a pole sitter and, and just really while there had been women before her in IndyCar, she was the one probably the most successful to date uh, until Danica came along. So, you know, she's, she's been a team owner and, and just really popular. She's driven the pace car actually as the working pace car driver, but this will mm-hmm. be the first time as the honorary pace car driver and uh, follows Elaine uh, Irwin Mellencamp, Robin Roberts, Annika Patrick is as former women to drive the Indianapolis 500 pace car. So I asked you this today, what Amelia Earhart,
2: the aviation specialist in the 30s, what her relationship was, and, and you told me she wasn't the actual pace car driver. I can just recall seeing a picture of her sitting in a pace car next to the pace car. So if anyone knows that, uh, unfortunately, I don't have Donald on speed dial. I could text him, but I don't think he'd respond to that text. Um, but but I know Amelia Earhart in something like 1935 made an appearance at the Speedway, and and but
3: it, it apparently she is not listed as a pace car driver. Do you no, know she? I do know. Um, you just ask uh, ask the question if she was the pace car driver, and she wasn't. She was an official of uh, kind of an honorary, I guess, is a better term, an honorary referee. She was pho- photographed in the pace car, but she was not the pace car driver. Um, this is a different
2: approach for the pace car, and I think most of us are excited about it. In, in past, the philosophy has been, let's use this with someone... Uh, with a huge social media following, trying to bring some attention, and and the previous female pace car drivers would all fit that mold. Yes, Danica Patrick was a a racing driver, but she's also a a celebrity. And then the others, not racing drivers at all. But it's not the first racing driver they've had. Uh, but how many, I wonder, of actual Indy 500 drivers were not previous winners? So this might be something new on that front. Um, so it's just different, and I think I think we all applaud this. Uh, there are other outlets that you can use your celebrities for. Pace car driver is kind of important, and I think it also obviously uh, fits some uh, f- fits some of the message you want to send a- along that you're very inclusive, part of the the race for equality and change. Is hey, let's remind everyone. We do have very accomplished females that have driven in this race and have driven quite well in this race and other IndyCar races, and that's where
3: Danica and Sarah Fisher and others fit the bill quite nicely. So you're asking me if of of the pace car drivers who were drivers who were not race winners at Indianapolis is that was that what you were asking?
2: That was one of the, uh, the top of mind things that came through. There's probably not that many.
3: So one that you comes- want. Ex- one that comes to mind is Jackie Stewart. Uh, that would be okay. one. Uh, I don't know. Well, other than Danica, who was a yeah, yeah, she she was not a not a race winner. Uh, but that's the only ones that I could think of. Um, was Eddie
2: Rickenbacker there, a, a pace car driver? He he
3: was. So there would be two. Uh, but he owned the place yeah he did kind of own the place although i think uh, he
2: he may have driven the pace car before he owned it i'm not sure about that i, I don't barney does it say oldfield? when he drove it huh
3: barney, barney oldfield? oldfield yep so there was one race here
2: on. yeah one when was the first pace car driver when, when was the first other than carl fisher doing it has there always been a named pace car driver since 1911
3: yeah, the, he drove it the first five or six years, and then uh, some other guys like Frank Smith drove it, I remember, but I can't remember some of the other names to have done it. Uh, then, it, you know, Harry Stutz drove it, Barney Oldfield drove it. Um, so, really, they've had a pace car driver every year since the race opened, a little different role, you know, in recent years where, you know, they had a pace car driver and then they had somebody who actually did the pace car during the race. Uh, So that, you know, they've had some different things, you know, mostly uh, they you know, they've rotated in and out. Sam Hanks drove it for quite a while uh, in in the late 50s and early 60s. Um, As you mentioned, you know, Jim Rathman was another one who drove it several Mm -hmm. times in the 70s. But, you know, in more recent time, and I guess I would say probably since the mid 80s, it has or a little bit later maybe has been honoraries. Uh, Jay Leno drove it, of course. Uh, Morgan Freeman was another one. Colin Powell was a popular one in 05. Lance Armstrong, Patrick Dempsey. And then you sprinkle in some champions. You know, Foyt's driven it. Uh, Emerson Fittipaldi's driven it. Uh, there have been others. Uh, who, who are the racing drivers we've had in the
2: last 20 years? You know, th- this this is going to be great for the IMS staff. They don't have to train anyone. Not only is she an accomplished race car driver, but as you said... She's been
3: a pace car driver in recent years. So Dale Jr. drove it. Um, I guess you could say Roger Penske was a was a driver. Uh, he uh-huh. he drove it. Jeff Gordon drove it. Dario drove it. Foyt, uh, Emerson. Um, you know those are the those are the example. Parnelli. If you go back into the late nineties, uh, Rutherford, of course, Rutherford was. You know, Parnelli drove it two or three times. Unser, Bobby Unser drove it. Uh, you know, I, I guess the first of the celebrities in, in my lifetime, so to speak, James Garner was one of the first that I yeah. remember uh, being a celebrity and, and he had, you know, some experience, but uh, you know, in all those years, Don Bailey drove the pace car during the race. Uh, but, but, you know, that's kind of the celebrity era probably started really, you know, in the, in the eighties. Well,
2: that's cool. I'm happy for Sarah. Uh, I, I have not asked her about – she's not actively driving the pace car anymore, Oriel Servia is, and I suspect it's because business is going well and and she's busy and hasn't found the need to be uh, at the IndyCar races each weekend. She's got the kart track at Whiteland. They've got Speedway Indoor Karting uh, in Speedway, and, and she and her husband Andy are involved in a lot of things, and she's a mom of two. So makes it a little bit more challenging to travel, but I think we all enjoyed when Sarah was the official pace
3: car driver, and now she gets to do it for the biggest race in the world. Yeah, she had been the 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 working pace car driver the last five years, uh, taking over from Rutherford in twenty seventeen. So you know she's uh, she certainly had some experience in the car at the race on the biggest day of the year, both in a race car and the pace car. So yeah, it's good to see she's she's certainly. Um, fitting of the honor as a you know uh, a trailblazer to some degree although we as as we've noted have had women in the race with her and before her and after her so but she's been such a good influence on the city and and the event and and such a popular driver uh, throughout her career in fact she's she's probably still as popular as as any driver that uh, that races today other than the two brazilians that we talk a lot about elio and canaan
2: Works out well. Uh, unfortunately, there is not a female entered in the race this year. There were efforts for, uh, at least I know Catherine Legg was one of those, and Simona Silvestro were both close to having opportunities. Uh, so unfortunately, that didn't happen. So there will be a, a female representation. I know that doesn't make up for that, but it's kind of the best that is available under the circumstances. And it'll be nice to remind people of, of Sarah's credentials, uh, a former pole winner in indycar podium uh, a couple of different times back in the irl and just a really really good oval racer in the early 2000s (laughs) you know was just 19 years old when she was racing in the big leagues of indycar racing so good for sarah good
3: stuff i i remember when she uh, broke in and got that first that first year she came we were sitting in the in the golf, what what used to be the golf pavilion. It's it's not quite used like that these days. But we sat in there for the announcement, or or was maybe we were just there for a gathering. And she was going to drive that year. And I remember sitting there talking to her, to her thinking, "My goodness, is she young? Uh, you know, I've not. We've had other nineteen-year-old drivers, but she really looked uh, and seemed much younger than that. So." Uh, good for her. I've known her a long time. I've watched her as a driver, and then come up as you have as a business person and a and a team owner and a mother and a and a, and a spouse and a wife. So she's, uh, you know, she she certainly had her, had her uh, her imprint on the Indy 500 and this series. I haven't checked to see, but
2: Andy O'Gara, her husband, has been on a pit stand managing a race for someone each of the last few years, and I think he is going to do that again this year i think i have heard that but i don't know that and i've not seen my official list but he usually think, is called upon
3: i think it's with dreyer and reinbold uh i think that's he's working the second car maybe for that makes sense car. i think that, that's that where makes i saw sense. him during the test
2: yeah i think i think his name came up and someone and maybe that's it maybe i just saw him on the stand the other thing i guess the final thought i would have is I'm glad they're announcing it this early because oftentimes the pace car driver is not announced until the week of the race. And sometimes that's because, you know, they're negotiating with agents and they're going after Tom Cruise or whoever it is. So they could have done that again and used it in the cycle of news between qualifying and the race. But I fear then it would have been seen as, oh, whoever your first choice, second choice was declined, and now you're going with someone already on staff. So this makes it clear that no, she was our first choice. Doug Bowles told me two weeks ago, we've got our celebrities. Uh, he, he said we've got our pace car driver set. So my guess is that's who it was. I didn't ask who it was, and he didn't tell me, but I think this has been in the works and in the planning for a while. So I like that that not that it matters. But no one is going to look at this as, oh, what what happened there? No, this was the choice, and it makes a lot of sense and good for everyone. So that's one of the stories from today. I mentioned Elio, and we're reminded of this story. I had this in my notes uh, last year as well, and it obviously didn't come to fruition, so we talk about it again. And the Borg-Warner bonus, I don't recall— I think either last year or the year before was the first time I really heard of it. So maybe credit to Steve Schunk, who does publicity for Borg Warner of reminding us all about that. But it was reminded today that if LEO wins, an extra four hundred thousand dollars from Borg Warner.
3: Yeah, the the award is uh added to the pot each year, twenty thousand dollars each year, and and he was the last to win it. If you can win back-to-back races, that's the qualification for earning the award. Back-to-back Indy 500s. He won, of course, in 01 and 02. And at that point, the the bonus was 160,000. So I think you know because of of the number growing to 400,000, that's that's obviously a a big number and a number that you know you can really kind of get your arms around or or really understand it. You know, it's a kind of a milestone number. So that, that's good. Uh, Elio doesn't need any extra incentive to win it, but I was with him when he was reminded of the award. And, uh, it was the day that, uh, we were at the state house and we were down in the basement in, uh, one of their, their, uh, conference rooms and, and Steve reminded Elio of, of 400,000 to win. And, uh, that perked him up. I mean, he was already perky, but that perked him up another level. So, and I asked him, I said, are "You going to share that?" And He said, "What are you sharing with me?" <laughs> and so, that was kind of <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, good for him. Good for Borg Warner. Appreciate their support. And uh, yeah, I, it'll be a big uh, a big day if he wins it again.
2: It's been around since '95, so is the only one that's cashed in on that in 2001 and 2002 all right just some twitter questions rick johnson asks if sarah will also be the working pace car driver during the race i'm guessing oriel servia would serve that role the regular pace car driver but i I don't know that
3: i don't know that um i don't think the the release uh mentioned that and i didn't think to ask that question it wouldn't surprise me if she just does it all day but 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 i think more likely is oriel drives it in the working capacity
2: So I guess if if you see the release while I'm looking up the next question is, does it say honorary pace car driver, celebrity pace car driver, or just pace car driver? And Uh, and maybe they don't feel the need to specify that as they do in the past. If it is a non-racing driver, just to let everyone know, uh, he's not going to be in charge of restarts and bunching up the field and things like that. So
3: all it says is that uh, she will lead the field to the green flag. Uh, by the way, it points out, and, and this is worth noting as well, she remains the fastest woman in Indy 500 history. So, uh, oh yeah, that's right. That's that's an important designation as well. I'll continue. They they've called her the official pace car driver, or she does in a quote, but I don't see that it says anything about honorary or the part about doing the job during the race. Okay,
2: well, we'll find out. So stay tuned on that. All right. Some questions that some have been I found in the inbox for a little while. This isn't super topical, but I think this came when there were some quotes and we were asked about, you know, what might the schedule look like uh, when when I think Roger Penske in an article made mention that maybe one might be in a little bit jeopardy for a long time future so jeff pritchard asks if toronto is no longer a viable venue could indycar race at ctmp canadian tire motorsports park the racing and i believe the tv ratings would be improved attendance may take a hit since it's an hour away from downtown toronto hashtag trackside so i've been given mixed opinions on this before and some especially those associated with Mosport, will say well of course they can race here it'll be fine and some drivers even said, you know, we, we race with walls at Indianapolis and every other oval. Uh, others have said, eh, it's just not enough runoff. I'm uh, not sure if that's going to work. So I would say mixed. My guess is probably not. It's also quite a ways outside of Toronto. I don't know why TV ratings would be better than they would anywhere else. They wouldn't be worse. But I, I don't know, so I'm missing that. What would make that better? Other than maybe a first-time event, it'd be kind of cool. It is a great venue. It is a really neat place. I've, I've enjoyed going there uh, on multiple occasions. But my guess is that is not likely to be replacement. That said, I could be wrong. And if for some reason it's not feasible, if, if Toronto is doing well uh, commercially and it just becomes – not feasible to continue a race there, then that would make some more sense to try to take local partners and do something as close as you possibly could. But that's the only way there, I think, would be momentum for that.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't hear a lot of uh, momentum uh, for that for that track, but uh, I suppose anything is possible. Jay Brandt says, I've been to many Indy
2: 500s and have always had issues with having cell coverage. I found I found that listening to the radio broadcast during the race is critical to knowing what's going on. However, with 1070 AM no longer being a thing, the FM connection inside the track has been poor at best. Has Mr. Penske made improvements to the Wi-Fi connection within IMS that will actually make the IndyCar app usable? I'd love to listen to the broadcast via the app and or use the other features available. So my first response would be, I'm surprised that the FM signal does not work. And I would encourage you also to try 93.1. So you've got three FM options. The ones you may be listening to live right now, uh, 107.5. Let's try to remember them all, 93.5. And then WIBC 93.1, which is the strongest signal amongst the three. Uh, I think that's a 50,000 watt station. I I knew what the wattage was on the AMs. But give 93 1 a try. I know a lot of people used to listen to 97 1 or even if 93 1 was even when 1070 was around, that was generally a stronger signal. That is likely to be better than anything you do on the internet because you're going to have a 30 second to 60 second delay on the internet. That's just the way it is, that cannot be overcome. You may have a 10 second delay on the radio, depending on whether. Uh, someone remembers to take it out of out of the uh, the, the profanity delay that we have on, on race morning. And depending on what kind of night JMV has had the night before, whether he needs to be in delay. Um, but 10 seconds is the most that you're going to deal with. Wi-Fi coverage? Well, Verizon has done a lot on that front. So if you're not Verizon, no, it may not work very well. Verizon works pretty well. Can you promise? 300,000 people, it's going to be iffy. It's going to be iffy. I'm going to say, bring a radio or figure out a way to get a scanner.
3: So if you remember at the start of last year, uh, Verizon introduced its 5G ultra wideband service to the speedway. And so that, and that tower is, is just off the, uh, off to the West of the speedway itself. It's on the property, but not inside the facility. But, uh, but you're right. Two things in play. One, it helps to be Verizon and a Verizon customer, and two, uh, you got 300,000 people. So people are, you know, in the ma- when the masses gather and they're, everyone's trying to use their phone at the same time, it does become difficult. And
2: everybody's trying to tweet a picture at the beginning of the race. I used to try to do that, you know, and never could. I w- it usually post six hours later. Now, it has been better the last few years, but it's been three years since we've seen full capacity there. So I don't know, but I would have some backup plans because you're right. It is important to have, have radio coverage, but give 93 a try. I think I'd be surprised if that signal is not strong wherever you're at, uh, at, at the racetrack from Todd and Phoenix. He sent this to me this afternoon. He was, I think the first to see this. And I saw it's been picked up by others in the last hour. I hope this doesn't wind up affecting Jimmy Johnson's sponsorship, So it's a story uh, that Carvana today announced that they're laying off 12% of their workforce, 2,500 people. Um, So obviously we have no answer that is definitive, but it might, you know, it just depends on the approach of the executives. A lot of places, even if they, it's a different budget and you're still going to need to market, but the purse strings usually get tighter shortly after layoffs. And it just depends on what they want the public perception to be. And there could be a fear internally, not a good idea to be putting stickers on race cars uh, when we have just laid off 12% of the people. Now the other side of that would be is we'd like to rehire these people or make sure we don't lose any more employees. And we have found that this marketing platform with Jimmy Johnson has been very successful. And had we not spent the money on that, which is, you know, in the grand scheme of a national marketing budget, someone would know this answer better than me. But from these major, major Fortune 500 companies, I'm going to guess a $10 million spend is not that much. And that's probably about what they're doing for IndyCar with paying for the cost for the ride for Jimmy and then the activation involved.
3: Well, they're going to activate no matter what. They they have to spend money to make money, and the question is: Are you using generic actors, or are you using Jimmy Johnson and and this racing situation? And and for that, the racing portion of that ten million dollar figure you threw out is probably thirty percent. Would you say? I don't know how much you think they're probably putting in, but they're not putting in ten in million activation. You yeah, I mean, I'm saying the activation part is probably you know, 30% of that. So, you know, how much, it's not all of it is my point. They're going to activate yeah, it's, anyway.
2: Yeah, they're, they're going to activate anyway. And, and the argument could, and they'll have better metrics on this. Uh, and part of it was, you know, we grew a lot in the last few years. And then unfortunately, the world has changed and we're forced to downsize a little bit. Well, one of the reasons they may have grown a lot was because of marketing. And one of their biggest platforms has been their motorsports program in the last couple of years with Jimmy Johnson. So I would give it a good chance of continuing. I don't know the ins and outs, but I also say what I said to begin with is that whether it's working or not, there are going to be some executives that just say we can't be sending our executives to the racetrack and it just is a bad look. So I hope that's not the case because it's been a really good platform uh, and, and it's been fantastic for IndyCar as well. Uh, Joe Heller says, listening to the podcast from Friday and agree with the commentary on F1 Miami, I'd like to redirect all the new fans to look at IndyCar and an IMS. It's just better. I'm a 30-plus year F1 fan, too. And there have been some other comments on that front as well. Uh, Matt Croft at Croft IndyCar says, great conversation on the 500 telecast, uh, comparing it to Sky Sports. However, you can't have this conversation and not mention the commercial breaks. Zero commercial breaks is a game changer. I I didn't get the sense that the CEO was talking about that. That is an obvious. And not many sports can do that. Not, Not many broadcasts can decide and i don't think they could be on network every single week they can do it twice a year and you'll commercial free but more than that's going to be uh, a little bit difficult also tim Berryman says anyone else remember the pride dan gurney had in indycar racing and challenged f1 if michael andretti has so much to invest why not invest it here indycar has so much trouble funding teams but they want to give it to f1 question mark well it's not michael wants to give his money to f1 he has people that are interested in investing in F1 and I'm sure he's been trying to sell them on IndyCar as well, but sponsors, partners, just the reality is that it's probably a little easier to raise a boatload of money for formula one than it is for IndyCar. Um, I'm not going to knock Michael Andretti at all because he has been a huge asset for IndyCar, the road to Indy and everything else. He's put some of his own money into it, and he has worked, along with his people, worked their tails off
3: to field four cars every year for a long, long time. Yeah, and sometimes more than four. So as many as six as I recall in the Indy 500. So, yeah, let's, let's don't pile on Michael for this one.
2: Uh, All right, we'll get into more of this and some news of the day, which includes the television ratings. They were higher than I expected. Linus Lundquist, Indy Lights Championship leader, is joining us in just a moment. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.
1: Hi, this is Mark Zerrickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
2: Thanks for staying with us. The trackside continues, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. The GMR IndyCar Grand Prix coming up this weekend. And it includes a pair of Indy Lights races on Friday afternoon, 5.30 Eastern Time on Peacock, Saturday at 1.20, right before the IndyCar race, also live on Peacock. And the championship leader, Linus Lundqvist from HMD Motorsports with Dale Coyne Racing, the driver of the number 26, fresh off a win in the wet at Barber, is joining us right now.
1: How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Thanks. How are you doing, man? Good to see you. Uh-
2: I'm good. So let's talk about that last win. You got a pair of podiums this season. You finished third at St. Petersburg and you took over the championship lead starting from pole. I, I remember talking with you before the race and said, I, I hope you're not just going to run away from everybody. And then it rained and that kind of made it impossible to run away from everybody.
1: Yeah, no, it was uh, it was one of the craziest races that I've been in. Not that it happened that much, but Like you said it started off in in the wet conditions and it was fully on wet like there was a big spray and puddles and rivers going everywhere and then i think we had a really good good car in the wet and the pace was good so opened up a little bit of a gap but then it started to dry out with some 15 laps to go and when it starts to dry out in barber it goes really fast so the last you know 10-12 laps there was a full dry line and if i wasn't in the lead i would probably have pitted for slicks uh, but we stayed out and i'll tell you what the the last few laps was one of one of the most pressure pressureful uh, moments of my life i think uh, with my teammate chasing me down and i've completely destroyed the left run and uh, yeah there were like rubber bits flying off it because obviously it was it was dry but we were out on wets but yeah we we managed to get the win which uh, which was cool
2: so that's what charlie Kimball and i were debating in the booth would anyone dive to pit lane for slick Cooper tires. And our ultimate assessment was you just lose so much time unless there was a yellow late in the race. And there was a yellow. Mm. Did you think about it at all then? Cause it still seemed pretty sketchy (laughs) at that point.
1: Yeah, there was a yellow. I think when that came out, it was maybe a little bit too early. Yeah. Um. But, you know, with, with 10 laps to go, there was definitely a, a dry line, dry enough for slicks that would have been probably, you know, three, four, five seconds left faster. But like you said, you lose so much time in a pit stop. So, and the thing is that, like, in the lead, I wouldn't be the one to to first head into pit lane and, and give up uh, to give track position up. But obviously, I knew that it only took one, one safety car or one full course yellow. And then, then that strategy actually would have worked. But, uh, yeah, luckily that didn't happen for me. And, uh, yeah, we were able to keep it just at the line from, from my teammate.
2: So how many more laps did those wet tires have in what was pretty much a
1: dry track by the end of the race? Uh, half a lap maybe. Oh boy. <laughs> but yeah. No, it probably would have done a few more laps, but it was just so tricky. And obviously it comes into the stage where the, With the wet tires almost turns into an intermediate or a slick tire, because obviously you've gone through all the groove of the tire and you're left with just the the rubber and the slick that's underneath it. But underneath that, obviously like the, there's not much rubber left on the tire, which means that you can have a tire failure. So it was just about, you know, trying to keep the speed down and usually the, the high speed corners to keep some of the energy out of it. But it was always tricky because you got all the, all the guys behind you chasing you down.
2: Yeah, Linus Lundqvist is joining us, uh, coming off a win, the championship leader now in Indy Lights. He was in in the fight for the championship all of last year and certainly one of the favorites coming into this year. Uh, I want you to tell the story that you told me when we first chatted before the start of last season about your background. Family not really in motorsport, not in motorsport at all, but they learned it as you went through. And ultimately, you had family members working on championship level cars when you got into formula car racing. I think that's amazing.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. Um, it's a little bit of an incredible story. Um, at least i think so so yes. um like i said usually maybe if, if you get into motorsport it's uh, through a family member that's maybe raced before or at least had the interest but i'm the first one in my family to ever be interested in in racing or motorsport so it was more or less by an accident that i got introduced to go-karts um at the age of six and um i absolutely loved it and then i had the love and the support of my family and they said okay well if that's what you want to do then We'll support you in that so uh, we bought our first go-kart and then uh, yeah had it in the back of our car and off we went to the first race not knowing anything about racing like formation lap and qualifying heats we didn't know anything <laughs> but slowly we we learned um and quite quickly i started to win a couple of races and you know we we did it very much as a family thing so you know the maybe the classical family vacation you do in the middle of the summer we, we took like um, our car and then we sp- spent our time racing uh, all over Sweden. Um, and that was kind of our family thing doing it. And then obviously we started to do quite well and I wanted to, to see how far we could go. And I started doing single seaters in, in Sweden in 2015. But we never really had the budget to go with, with a team. So we did it ourselves. So my stepdad, who was uh, who was my mechanic, he um, he was then my crew chief uh, on the single seater side, and he'd never been like a, a mechanic at all. So um, yeah, it's uh, it was cool, uh, and then we managed actually to win the championship the second year. So uh, it was an incredible journey, and even now I I look back at those days, you know, where uh, we've come a very very long way from where we started,
2: and. and- Motorsports is definitely a family affair, but usually it's more on the business side, the family Mm. and, and in go-karting, it's not that uncommon for dad to work on the cart, but eventually they join a factory team for, for a kid that's got really talent. And almost always in car racing, unless dad already previously owned the team, you're just joining someone else. And didn't your uncle end up doing things as
1: well? Yeah, so you, yeah. so the race team was I was the driver and my stepdad was the number 1 mechanic as he proudly said himself <laughs> and then his his brothers, my uncle was, um, was my race engineer who'd never been a race engineer before. And then one of my stepdad's coworker, uh, was second mechanic, obviously. And then my mom was the administrator. So she did all of the booking and obviously came to all of the races as well. So yeah, that was it. And we, uh, we traveled, uh, the whole of Sweden, uh, racing in this, uh, in this championship. And, uh, I'd like to say, actually, we, we ended at quite a high level. Um, but the, the tough thing was obviously I was still at school at the time and everybody else was doing this. Like they had ordinary jobs, like working nine to five. So it was just late nights and, you know, long weekends that we worked on it. And then uh, we got back to our ordinary or re- regular jobs or, or school for me.
2: And, and this was a series that say is somewhere between like F 1600 formula Fords and USF 2000. They, they had wings, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. They had wings. So it's a formula runner 1.6. Um, let's so okay. say it's closer to the USF 2000 car yeah. than, um, than, um, uh, formula Ford, for example. Uh, but yeah, it was cool. It was a sequ- sequential gearbox. So you had to like, uh, toe and heel and everything like that. Um, so yeah, it was cool.
2: And I'm curious what your dad and your uncle did that allowed them to figure out how to engineer and work on a fairly sophisticated racing car.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think obviously a lot of credit goes to, uh, especially my stepdad, who spent a lot of time in the garage trying to figure everything out. Uh, but he also was very interested in in being a mechanic and the me- mechanical side of it. So obviously, and we worked together with. A, I'd say eight years of carding together with him being my mechanic throughout, throughout the years as well. So we knew each other pretty well on that side as well. So I could explain to him what I wanted from the car, et cetera. Uh, but then obviously when my uncle came along as a race engineer, that was a new bond that, that had to be developed a little bit. What were their real jobs to be able to figure that uh, out? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so my stepdad worked, um, at a pharmaceutical company as, um, like, a Almost well, he's a consultant nowadays, uh, but works on like the machines and the production uh, side of it. So nothing, nothing really to do with cars. And uh, and at least he's mechanical. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So he had that side. And then my step uh, or uh, my uncle worked at um, worked Saab, uh, the Swedish uh, company. Um, Not the car side, but the truck side. And um, yeah, was an engineer there. So he was an engineer from, from the ground, just not a race engineer. So um, okay, yeah, some some of the background were right, but obviously uh, specialized in in different uh, areas.
2: Very cool. Linus Lundqvist is joining us. Indy Lights championship leader for HMD Motorsports with Dale coin Racing. When did you meet Kenny Breck, and what what kind of influence has he had on your motorsports
1: career? So I first met Kenny back in 2018. Uh, and back then I was living in, in the UK, which he is as well. And I was racing in the British formula three series. Um, and my team boss, Anthony Hyatt with double R racing, he knew Kenny pretty well. Um, and obviously growing up in Sweden and being involved in motorsport, Kenny is, is a hero for me. Uh, and especially what he's done over here in the U S so, um, When I I realized that they had a relationship, I kept talking to my Mm. then team boss, Anthony, just like, well, you got to introduce me to Kenny at some point. Um, And I think it was around midway point in the British F3 championship. And we've been doing quite well. So I was leading the championship, had a couple of wins. And then um, we we had a dinner together uh, where he introduced me to Kenny and we sat down and chatted and just for the first time meeting him. Um, and I remember that was one of the first time where I got properly like starstruck. Um, and it took me a good, you know, half hour, four to five minutes before it was like a little bit more normal to sit down and chat with him. But that was the first time. And um, ever since then, I've, I've just been hassling him, uh, telling, uh, <laughs> telling him what I'm doing and what I've been up to and what I wanted to do. Um, and then for the last, two years, I'd say more year and a half. Um, he's been helping me out a little bit. Um, just introducing me to some people and giving me some tips and tricks, especially over, over here in the U S uh, where he's done, um, some, uh, some great, um, a great career for himself. So yeah, it's been good to, to have him by my side. So you won that championship in 18,
2: I think it was in British F3. Uh, yep. what led you to America?
1: Um, it was the end of 2019 because so I did the Euro Formula Open Championship, a different Formula Three championship, and uh, I I didn't really have the money to uh, to go to FIA F3, which would have been the target. Um, and to be honest, I didn't really have a big budget at all, so I was looking at all the different kinds kinds of options that I had. And then I um, I got introduced to Christian Pedersen, who owned um, the Global Racing Group team, mm-hmm. and uh, we got talking. And I started to look at America mainly because of the scholarships. Um, because at the end of 2018, when we won the British F3 Championship, it was it was the highlight of my career. Um, by then. Um, and I felt really good. But at the end of the day, it didn't really gave me that much because I still needed the budget to take the next step.
2: Is there any scholarship or prize money at all for that?
1: Not for that. It was for the Sunoco wheeling challenge, which got me the first Daytona 24 uh, hour drive, okay. but nothing really to put me forward to the next level in single seaters. Yeah. And that was the very attractive side to the the racing side here in the U.S. Um, But then I got talking to to Christian um, and we got along really well and we decided to do uh, the FR championship together. And that was, um, yeah, it was a a dream start to to the season. Uh, So I didn't have a full budget that year. So I think I only had like half of it but then we won the first eight races. So then when I came back to Sweden with a little bit of momentum, I was able to, uh, to pick up a couple of sponsors and especially from, from Jula who's still together uh, with me today, which is nice, but they sort of saved me that season. And I was able to, to run the whole, the whole year and then won the championship and won the scholarship with uh Honda and HPD. And that enabled me to do, uh, Indy lights last year. So, um,
2: and, yeah. and I think you won 15 of 17 races. Is that right? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right. So, that's right.
2: So then you you go into Indy lights where, you know, frankly the competition is a little bit stiffer and you still won and you still ran up front and contended for the championship. But what's that adjustment like when you go from a level where you are clearly the guy to where, Oh, there's about seven or eight that could win any particular race.
1: Yeah, no, it was tough. It was definitely one of the the tougher years that I've had uh, with the competition. And I think as well, like you said, we started off well. I mean, we won We won the first race of the year um, and the first pole position. So I think both me and my crew, we, we went into a little bit of the mindset like, ah, oh, this is how it's going to be for, for the whole year, more or less. And then coming off 2020 as well. Um, but I think then when, when I arrived at tracks that I'd never been to before and we had a 30 or 40 minute practice and then straight into quali, I think that hurt me a little bit, um, because at the end of the day, we were rookies. Um, it was, uh, more or less a new team, a new car, new tires, eight out of the 10 tracks I'd never been to before. So there was a lot of new things. Um, so, um, I think just when the championship finished, I was disappointed because we didn't win and that. That's why I was there. But now looking back at it, I'm actually very proud of the year that we did. You know, we, um, we were strong. We won races. We had both positions. We were in the mix for, for a championship for a very long time. Um, and then I think, unfortunately we took a big hit at the oval with, um, when we, uh, had a tire failure. Uh, but I think, uh, overall, we still show that we had pace to, to be right at the front.
2: And one of the races you won was here in Indianapolis on the road course from pole, yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the significance of that? What, how special is it? It's not the oval, but it's still crossing the yard of bricks and in, still in front of a pretty decent crowd.
1: It sure was, it sure was, it was amazing. Um, I still remember the first day I ever drove into, uh, into Indy. It was, uh, it's incredible just driving underneath the, the track and the grandstands. And you're like arriving up there by the museum. It's, uh, it still blows my mind, like driving in there today, um, like it still takes your breath away a little bit. And like I said, the, the first time, like driving over the, the yard of bricks and everything like that, it was, it was special. So, but I think actually when you get down to it, like saying qualifying in the race, you're so focused on just performing well, that you don't really have time to think about it. It's sure. like when you're up on the podium and, and looking back at it, it's then it's a little bit more special
2: we had the scholarship to get you in Indy lights last year, didn't have it this year. And, and we didn't see your name listed until right before the season started. Where do things stand about trying to move forward? Is this another, like so many drivers, I really need to win this championship and the scholarship to take the next step. Or have you got enough momentum? Have you shown enough where you're starting to find some supporters that might be able to make it work, even if you don't win the championship?
1: It's a good question. I think time, time will tell. Um, yeah. And that's a good question to, to put forward to to some IndyCar teams. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, obviously the target is here to win a championship. And um, you know, if, if you look at the point of view from the bigger teams, like if you look at the best driver, that's probably the guy that's going to win the championship. So, um, and um, I hope that that will be me. So that's definitely the target. And it will help with obviously the scholarship that, Indy lights provides for, uh, for the driver obviously helps a lot. And, um, I think all of the surroundings just, you know, um, having to, to win championships is, is the biggest thing and the most important thing you as a driver can do. So this
2: weekend you got a chance to experience formula one in Miami, about half the Indy car paddock was there. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously a, a few of the Indy lights drivers, I know I saw Kiffin Simpson was there. Uh, what was it like? What did you get to do and experience?
1: it was awesome. Uh, this was my first like proper F1 weekend that I've attended. Um, so it was great. It was great fun. Um, super, super cool venue to start off with. I mean, Miami definitely delivered, uh, but it was nice to see as well. Uh, like I said, it was my first proper F1 weekend. So it was cool to see the drivers and obviously the scale of things. Um, I mean, IndyCar is big. F1 is, uh, exists though. Next level. I got to admit that.
2: Have you been to the Indy 500 yet? Did you go last year?
1: Yes. I went last year and that's, be that's the one year. thing. Yes. Well, the thing <laughs> is that even last year with, I think it was what? 25% capacity. That was uh, the one thing that yeah, came something close like to
2: that, it. 40% whatever it was. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 So, um, but yeah, it was cool. Miami had a vibe though. Uh, but I do look forward to going to the 500 this year as well. Like I said, with, you know, probably and hopefully hundred percent capacity, uh, that'll be something different.
2: So how'd you get the hookup? I, I know Christian Peterson used to have used to work in the formula one world w- Were any other was Benjamin there were other Indy lights drivers around.
1: Um, there were some Indy lights drivers. I don't know about Benjamin, um, but I got, got it actually through, uh, there was a support series, women's series, Uh the race there this weekend. Yeah. The W series and, um, and the, the, guys that run that series right now at, uh, that's actually a part of my old team uh, with double R racing. So, uh, and I haven't seen those guys in probably, you know, two to, two to three years. Um, so I still, I'm still, I'm still in in contact with them. So when they said that they would be going out to Miami, I said, well, I got to be there as well because then both I got to see you guys, but I got to attend the F1 as well.
2: Good for you. Well, good luck this weekend. Uh, we we'll look forward to seeing you here in town racing twice, Friday at 530, Saturday at 120, Indy Lights presented by Cooper Tires on Peacock and at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as a part of GMR Grand Prix weekend. Mm-hmm. Linus Lunquist, HMD Motorsports with Dale Coin Racing, the number 26 car, the championship leader. Thank you, Linus. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. We'll see what we missed in the news of the day coming up in just a moment on Trackside.
0: Hi, this is Edgar Stenevis, and you're listening to Trackside.
2: Happy birthday again, Elio. Make plans to visit the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech. Saturday night, the Indianapolis Speedrome again features family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and outrageous fun, topped off by the Speedromes, world-famous wild and unpredictable figure eight, and the return of big wheel races for kids ages five and under. Adult tickets cost only $10. Kids eight and under are free. Speedrome.com.
3: Kurt, what is the Indianapolis Speedrome? And Circle City Raceway news of the day. Well, you teased it earlier about being surprised about the F1 ratings. 2.6 million viewers when cars were on the racetrack on Sunday. Over 2 million during the pre-race, which was even more surprising to me. The 90-minute pre-race, the rating was just a tad under NASCAR's rating from Darlington. They had 2.6 million viewers the, the other surprising element to it, that Indianapolis was not in the top 10 among markets. Uh, yeah. I would have expected that. Charlotte was, but Indianapolis was not, of course. Miami, West Palm Beach were 1-2. That's not surprising. I think Orlando was in the top 10 as well. So Florida was paying attention, obviously, for good reason. But I'm surprised Indianapolis wasn't in the top 10. And that is our news of the day at Indy's Dirt
2: Track Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds. Sprint cars dominate the month of May. And this Sunday, the Jonathan Birds 410 Sprint Cars headline a full night of action along with Speed 2 Midgets, Outlaw Micros, and the Shirley Unlimited Snow Company UMP Modifieds making their season debut. And during Indy Race Week, USAC National Sprint Cars will be racing the 25th and 26th Circle City Raceway. Speaking of USAC, that's where the Carb Night, or rather I should say the Prime 47 Indy Burger Bash will be. Carb Night will be at uh, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. New partners coming in. Blue Marble is going to be presenting our ticket-holding VIPs with product for the evening. Kona Ice uh, for the kids. I suppose you could mix those two together if you really wanted. So (laughs) tickets are available. I tweeted something out today that has a link for tickets, and it, again, is a free event Uh, out in the the general population and that's where the radio show will be broadcast as well um a couple of other tweets that came through i wanted oh somebody asked about uh yeah last night about autograph sessions for the road to indy they were added today the indy pro 2000 series will have an autograph session at 10 usf 2000 at 130 and that goes along with indy lights and indy car also having autograph sessions on friday of this week Kurt, we still haven't gotten into the race. There's a lot going on, so we're going to devote some time to that to talk about, oh, can anybody be willpower with five wins and five poles and all the other contenders? There are a lot of people that are really good at this racetrack, and they've got a lot of practice on it. What, five times in the last yeah. two
3: years? Yeah, they're, they're very good there. So it's going to be a good weekend. Yeah, we'll get to the to the nuts and bolts of the race weekend coverage on uh, wednesday and thursday we've uh, cars on track 9 30 for the first time on friday a lot of fun this weekend at at ims and we'll have a a post-qualifying wrap-up
2: show live from ims on friday night at seven o'clock getting you set for race day thanks to sam stay tuned jake and mike are up next beyond the bricks on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan